Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. BetOnline is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of basketball season. BetOnline has more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it's a podcast welcome in everybody it is november 3rd a day of celebration in the city of atlanta the curse is over y'all the atlanta sports curse is over the hawks the former thrashers the Atlanta Falcons 28 to 3 2004 with Michael Vick Michael Vick fighting dogs in 2007 1998 where they made it to the Super Bowl which was kind of a miraculous Super Bowl appearance cuz they pulled an upset against the Vikings one of their players getting busted for soliciting a prostitute the night before the Super Bowl that's a real story google it all the way up to 2014 Atlanta Braves about a decade of division titles with no championship to show for it. 2019 Braves, number two seed, winner go home against the Cardinals, give up 10 runs in the first inning. 2020 Braves up 3 1 against the Los Angeles Dodgers, blowing that lead. The team that I said back in July was done. The dynasty, that era of Braves baseball was over. Ronald Acuna's injury signified that they were now on the decline, that the Atlanta Braves had peaked last year, and last year was going to be their best chance to win a championship. That Atlanta Braves team, the Atlanta Braves team that at the trade deadline flipped over their batting lineup to the point where in this final World Series game, four of the nine batters in their lineup that scored seven runs and blanked the Houston Astros were not on the team prior to July 20th. Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario, NLCS MVP Eddie Rosario, World Series MVP Jorge Soler, neither of which were even on the team. Congratulations, Atlanta. The curse is no more. And we've talked about this series a little bit. We talked about it yesterday with Razor. Uh, We talked about it on Sunday coming off the end of the game. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, by the way, also finished the World Series with an 0.83 batting average for the Houston Astros. 
So to add to Correa's struggles and Bregman's struggles, Jordan ends up hitting all-time bad in the World Series. Uh, the Astros couldn't get anything rolling ex- except for Michael Brantley for some reason. Um, the five through nine hitters for the Houston Astros in game six had one combined hit for the entire team. It was Martin Maldonado. It was rough for Houston. And this is what happens when a team that's built on offense was starting pitching that's like kind of good enough. Like I didn't realize that Garcia, the, the rookie who was starting game six, had like a 7-3 ERA in the regular season. But Houston got close enough, built off the power of that batting lineup that was way stronger than the White Sox, stronger than Boston, stronger than the Yankees, stronger than Tampa. Like that team built on that lineup gets to the World Series. And when the lineup disappears, all of a sudden the Braves capitalize on it because the Braves found the similar level of offensive production from weird places like Freddie Freeman was belting homers. Ozzie Albies had like an okay series. I think he hit like seventh in the order by the end of that game. But Ozzie Albies was the young cornerstone. Like him and Acuna represented four years of a rebuild for Atlanta. It was the, it was a long rebuild too. Like they had some number one picks in there and they were one of the worst teams in baseball from 2015 to, to 2018 when they finally won the division. Like, it was a three-year long rebuild for Atlanta, and the, and the prizes at the end of that were Acuna and Albies, and similarly to the Nationals championship in 2019, because if you don't see the parallels between this Washington and Atlanta championship from losing your best player, the, the Nationals being Bryce Harper going out for the, or signing with the Phillies, and for the Braves, Acuna going out for the season, uh, down to the, the bullpen that was built on two guys, to just being in the NL East and being a three seed, but also the, the four seed Nationals were the least likely team to make the World Series out of the NL, and the Braves coming into the playoffs were the wor- least likely team to make the World Series in the NL. And they both played the Astros and both clinched on the Astros home field. Like all the parallels between those two teams are right there. And the Braves just capitalized on the moment because they had top to bottom a really strong lineup that if you go back to the trade deadline, we didn't think was going to happen. But then you bring in Duvall, you bring in Jock Peterson. Uh, We talked with Razor about how this is like a new form of roster construction where when it's a buyer's market and you go all in on those bats with just enough starting pitching where Ian Anderson finishes with one hit allowed in the World Series, but he never got to pitch Game 7. And that dude, like, again, that dude threw a one-hitter and didn't get to pitch again in the series. But it was just enough from whether it be Max Freed having the shutout game where, again, they pulled him in the 7th, but they didn't have a bullpen collapse like the like the Rays did last year where they pulled him with 70-something pitches. And the third time through the order rule kind of switched it up. But even still, Atlanta didn't have that level of, I mean, other than that, like we talked about, they got one hit from batters five through nine in the order. That's the reason the Astros lost, but give all the credit to Max Freed on that one. Like he was the guy who also is one of these pieces that represents the the, the end of the rebuild, which by the way, if I remember correctly, he was a Padre who was sent over in the Craig Kimbrell trade, I want to say. So um, part of the rebuild ends up being Max Freed as the Padres give away a core piece of the World Series title for the Braves because that's what the Padres have done historically. But anyways, 
um, Atlanta ends up having that magical championship run based on a team that didn't, I mean, if you go, I mean, this is baseball, like a team that we didn't think was going to be that group. Like you still had the MVP Freeman in there, but Albies wasn't very good. Marcelo Zuna had his domestic violence situation at the start of the year and he was gone for the entire season and now might go to jail. Like they lose Josh Donaldson in free agency, which is a weird pivot from talking about spousal abuse, but Josh Donaldson leaves in free agency for the Atlanta Braves, and he was a core part of those teams, and Johan Camargo was supposed to be something, and now he's on another team, and Atlanta just had all these weird interchanged pieces where if you go back to 2019, when they were the two seed, and they won their second straight division title, and you felt like this is a team that is building towards something, We weren't sure what, but it felt like they were going to make the CS that year. They were going to make the World Series in 2020. They would maybe win the World Series in 2020. And then to see it all change, and for them to be able to plug up the holes and still keep the ship afloat, in part, like, they got lucky, which you have to have at a certain point. Like, the Dodgers got really messed up with injuries. The Dodgers were 17 games better than the Braves in the regular season, and yet... The Braves were a different team after the trading deadline because they could finally fill those pieces that weren't working with the bats. And the Dodgers lost Muncie, and they lost Scherzer, and they lost Kershaw, and they lost, uh, what's his name towards the back, Justin Turner, um, the, the animal guy, the animal from the Muppets. They lost Justin Turner, and they went through all of that and still ended up coming out at the back end with the victory, which is super duper fascinating because baseball is weird like that. I wrote them off and that was probably a mistake. I also wrote off the Yankees. I thought that was going to be a mistake. And then the Yankees keg softball team lost the random one game sample. I thought even getting to this point, you'd have a random one game sample, but still in the end, Atlanta ends up winning and it was never really in doubt. And part of that was different than the 2019 one where it just felt like the, the Nationals got ridiculously lucky in the baseball chaos finishes of some guys just going to get hot right towards the end. This one felt like the Braves were just the better team all the way through. And that's because the Astros offense, as we outlined before, Correa regressed quite a bit, although Game 5 is going to make those averages look better. He was awful. Uh, Alex Bregman, awful. Uh, Jordan Alvarez hit below 100 in the series and right there that's three of your seven guys now if your team built on four batters instead of seven batters deep well then you're totally beatable especially if you don't have a great starting pitching staff and a great bullpen and that kind of just explains away what happens at the end maybe it's just small sample size maybe the Braves had something really great going on with pitching but then you watch like game five when they got destroyed and game one where they got or sorry game two where they got destroyed and it was different than what we thought but like for one week the Braves just pretty much whooped up on them and that was not what I was expecting coming in. So congratulations, Atlanta. This is your championship. After a long, drawn-out period, you guys get to win the championship. After I said it was over for you guys. Isn't it funny how those things work out? Being wrong about baseball all the time. (laughs) Isn't it weird when that ends up happening? So I wanted to spend a little bit of time here talking about the Henry Ruggs story. This is going to be really uncomfortable for a lot of people over the next few weeks. It already makes me feel uncomfortable seeing the way that we're reacting to this conversation, not just in a way where we talk about 
DUIs and death and tragedy, but also putting it in the football context. And it reminds me so much of the Britt Reed story that we talked about last February. And I think that's kind of where I want to pick up before going into the Henry Ruggs talk is kind of go back to February and pick up where we left off on the Britt Reed story. Because Britt Reed back in February, was involved in a DUI leaving the Kansas City facility where he hit a parked car and left a five-year-old in critical condition. Uh, The five-year-old survived but had uh, life-altering impairments. The child in this case suffered a traumatic brain injury that would impair her for the remainder of her life. And Reed is going through, I believe, the legal process still around this. And What made it super uncomfortable was that it happened the week of the Super Bowl, and this was a story that was being covered on ESPN in a way where if it's not that last name and it's not that person who's a coach on the Chiefs staff, we are not talking about this story because DUIs happen all the time, and this is the this is the part that's difficult is one person one person's DUI case is a tragedy, a hundred thousand DUI cases is a statistic. And this is something that kind of reflected in the COVID nineteen data where it was really for a lot of people once it struck close to home that COVID nineteen really became a real reality. But when we talk about a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand deaths, uh, it's hard to quantify that because it becomes a statistic and it minimizes the case. And so DUIs as a statistic, we don't focus on. We don't focus on each of the individual stories around this. It's only when there's a macro level conversation around someone of some level of importance. And in sports, that can really be anybody because if sports reflect society, then statistically, there's going to be a chance that someone in sports is involved in one of these DUI type cases. And that happened to be this week, Henry Ruggs, similarly to eight months ago being Britt Reed. And so This conversation is really uncomfortable because people want to talk about this in a football context. The Henry Ruggs DUI is not a story that's going on Good Morning America. It's not a story that's going on Jake Tapper on CNN or MSNBC or NBC Today Show or anything like that. This is a story that lives on ESPN. And this is a story that lives on Bleacher Report. And this is a story that lives, unfortunately, through meme pages and NFL verified accounts across Twitter and Instagram. This is not a this is a tragedy that is going to be absorbed in a way by a community that would not have any connection to this case if not for Henry Ruggs being the famous person involved. And so for people who don't know the story, we should probably clarify that um, on Monday night, uh, Henry Ruggs posted a Snapchat of him at a Top Golf in Las Vegas around 3:30 that night. Uh, Henry Ruggs was involved in a two-car crash that left the person in the other car dead. Henry Ruggs sustained non-life-threatening in- uh, injuries, was treated at a hospital, and is going to be charged with DUI and uh, what I believe is with death. Uh, I forgot what the phrase was, but I think it's called DUI with deadly something. But anyways, it's vehicular manslaughter, basically, um, while driving under the influence. And I don't know what the legal ramifications are for Henry Ruggs at this point. I don't know this case deep enough. This is a blind spot of mine, just as we'll talk about the emotional blind spots around DUIs. But even still, um, Henry Ruggs 
is similarly to the Deshaun Watson case where you have a hugely emotional, moral conundrum and, and real humans grieving loss in this situation. You have a legal situation and you have a football situation. And it's very important to separate these three. We have the other uncomfortable added element of everyone making reactions to this because, like I said, this is a story that lives on ESPN and Bleacher Report and has a lot of people not equipped to talk about this conversation, giving voices and opinions around Henry Ruggs when they're not responsibly discussing this conversation. A lot of it will ultimately lead to how does this impact the Las Vegas Raiders? What is the responsibility of an employer in this situation is a question that we can talk about at a different point. And how does this affect a depth chart of a football team is another conversation we can set apart down the road. But ultimately, we talked about this with Deshaun Watson last week where we want systems to take the moral decision making for accountability out of our hands. And in this case, we hope that the legal system will serve some level of justice towards Henry Ruggs. I don't know what the precedent is on this, but I hope that there's some measure of accountability that satisfies the victims in this situation, specifically being the grieving family of the person who was killed in the car crash um, and other subsidiaries around that. So I ask the question here, how do we balance treating this like a DUI story with a victim, grieving family, loss that we can't understand unless we're in that situation or a similar type situation and legal counsel and legal expertise that we aren't equipped to discuss right now, or at least I'm not equipped to discuss because we don't know the circumstances around the the Henry Ruggs legal battle after this. I don't know what precedent is in Las Vegas for a legal settlement, and I don't know the progression of that case. It would be easier to have more information. We just don't have that right now. So how do we balance treating this like a DUI story and a very human, moral story and a football story about depth charts and first-round busts and connecting it to how an employer should or should not respond to this situation? And this is a very, very complex situation. Personally, I feel we have a moral obligation to talk about this story within a larger context of society, because one of the things I talk about all the time with sports is that sports reflect our society and they help us grow in situations that actually matter, because in the grand scheme of things, sports don't matter. Sports are not curing cancer here. Sports are not solving society's problems. They are a small contribution of entertainment value That is a system that reflects the product of the society around it. And we can learn things about our society via this prism of sports that a lot of us really understand, especially if you're coming to this podcast from an NFL meme page. You probably really understand the nuances and complexities of sports, and it allows you to open up new perspectives that maybe you can apply to larger society. And this is a situation where sports intersects larger society, not just in a conversation about race and drinking and driving and alcoholism and things of those sorts, but also in the case of Henry Ruggs, you have something that's just a larger trend in society. If you have 100,000 deaths, which again, this is not statistically accurate, but I'm saying if you have 100,000 
deaths a year by DUI, which is, I don't think exactly correct, but somewhere around that. Um, if you have that and then you apply the context of sports, which is an industry that, you know, has, let's say, 100,000 people that could be an accurate representation here. Well, if you have 100,000 people divided by 300 million in America specifically, let's say 300 million, and all of a sudden you have, uh, what would that be? 100,000 sports adjacent people. If you want to lump in college sports and administrators and coaches and personnel and people who maybe have some level of significance uh, and you wrap that in with society at large, eventually you're going to have some overlap if you do like a Venn diagram of people involved in DUIs and people involved in sports. Sometimes you're going to have that happen, and so we can have this magnitude of a conversation. And unfortunately for myself, I just don't feel comfortable talking about DUI in this context because I don't have the life experience for it. I feel more comfortable talking about things like misogyny and Deshaun Watson, uh, homophobia, racism, anti-religion, things that exist throughout sports, but DUI is a bit of a blind spot for me, other than the fact that you have death and, in, well, in this case, death specifically, and you have grief and pain on one side. That's a very human story that that part I feel I can relate to. But in terms of the legal aspects of DUI, of the recourse for someone like Henry Ruggs, the mental health side of that, um, just trauma of having loss be immediate in that context, it's a blind spot for myself. And so I don't know what the accountability measure should be around this because I'm just, I don't know. I am not the moral arbitrator on most of this stuff, and it's a blind spot for myself that I acknowledge. I don't know what the recourse is for Henry Ruggs at this point. I don't know whether Henry Ruggs was going to be charged or not. This is a very complex legal situation. When when I heard the Alec Baldwin story like a week ago, I was like, well, is Alec Baldwin going to get charged for this? Is Alec Baldwin going to be implicated in a murder charge? And I was like, this is a massive story if not. And I find out, no, there's not really any place for him to be charged, even though he discharged the gun. I don't I don't know enough about the situation, so I'm not even going to pretend like I can dive deeper into the pain of someone's loss or the legal recourse around Henry Ruggs. But at the same time, where the expertise is football, I don't feel comfortable talking about the football side of it. Because, like I said a little bit ago, how do we balance treating this like a human story and a football story? Because again, going back to the very start with what we talked about with Britt Reed and what we talked about with uh, this story being not something that exists on any platform other than ESPN or Bleacher Report because of that overlap that doesn't exactly overlap with society at large. Because like, like we said at the top, DUI is a problem, but we don't report on it the same way that we would report nationally a story of the magnitude of John Gruden or a story the magnitude of Deshaun Watson, or a story the magnitude of Trevor Bauer even in baseball. Like, we just, DUI is not as prominent in our society of that is an issue that happens consistently. It might be just as great of a tragedy, especially when we're talking about death, but at a certain point we just become numb to the idea of death, hence the fact that for the past six months we've been seeing similar numbers of deaths due to COVID-19 to beginning of pandemic levels, but we've just kind of been worn out of hearing the statistics. And so we're going to play God and say, we're going to sacrifice a few people here and there. Yes, there's a readily available vaccine in America that everyone should take, but for the people who don't, we're just going to stop feeling bad for people and we're going to stop reporting statistics of death and we're not going to keep dragging this on in a way. 
It's just what we've placed value on in terms of death and playing God with human life and what we value and what we don't in the macro context. And so someone who will, I mean, wow, let's go the other way. Someone who passed away as a result of a DUI on Saturday or Sunday is not going to be reported nationally in the same context as this case in Las Vegas because of the person who was behind the wheel. But it does give us a chance to have this conversation, even if I feel wholly unprepared for it. So with all of that being said, back to balancing a human story, a legal story, and a football story. This point, I already said legal, put it to the side. I'm just not equipped to have the legal conversation, and none of us have enough details to discuss this story specifically. The lack of details, plus it being a blind spot for me, I'm going to put the legal part aside instead of pretending like I know exactly what is going to happen to Henry Ruggs or what the recourse is. I don't know whether Henry Ruggs will have to pay a financial settlement, face jail time, whether his wealth and privilege in this situation will help him get off um, because he's a famous football player. Who knows? Um, I don't. I don't think any of us know for sure, but maybe some people know better than I. So put the legal thing to the side. Now, how do we balance a human story, and a DUI story of tragedy, and a football story. Personally, I do not want to discuss the football side at all, and morally, I think it's irresponsible to talk about the football side of this. Now, if we want to have a conversation about how an employer should take recourse in this situation, especially in the case of Deshaun Watson, for example, where there needs to be some measure of accountability while the legal system is going on, and we can't have him playing football because that sends a wrong message that there's no measure of accountability. If I were in the situation of the Raiders, I would sit Henry down, I would talk to I would let him talk, and then I would probably have to tell him that we have to have you stay away from the team for a while. And that's while he's going through the legal battle, it's important to stay away from the team. You'll still be getting paid. Um, it's just important, unless they would like to void his contract now, which I feel like would be um, a move that you make only out of PR more than anything else. Because I feel like you have afforded yourself the patience to wait as more information comes in. Um, again, whether this is a moral thing or not, this could be a blind spot for myself that Henry Ruggs should be immediately released and not put the Raiders in a position where they should be trying to recoup their money. They should be doing the right thing based on the situation. I would say that that's too harsh, but also I may have a blind spot in this situation. So if someone wants to argue that, respect to them. I just might be in a blind spot around that. Um, I think for the Raiders themselves, they'll make that choice. And that's interesting because that's a societal level of how do employers how do employers create a measure of accountability outside of the legal system or outside of some sort of system of accountability, especially if those systems end up failing to deliver a measure of accountability. So that's an interesting conversation. But from a football standpoint of what does this mean for the Raiders and what does this mean for Henry Ruggs, et cetera, et cetera, I don't think we should be having that conversation because this story should be something that helps us inform ourselves about DUI and I will do my best to continue that continue that as we get more details this is just a 24 hour I mean less than 24 hours at the time I'm recording this story since all of this has happened and so we can look and say how can we maybe 
inform ourselves about DUI? How do we process this as a society? Maybe we should place a larger value on preventing DUI or or potentially seeing that, hey, this is one of the leading causes of death in America is motor vehicle accidents. And maybe this is a problem because there should not be this many motor vehicle accidents. Maybe that's one of the conclusions that we draw from coming into this situation. I think that's something that's been argued certainly in the past. Um, But I just haven't heard the conversation come up in a while, probably because we haven't had a national conversation about DUI at a time where, and DUI is a tragedy that according to the National Highway and Traffic Safety Association, uh, killed 36,000 people in 2019, uh, 36,000 people in 2018, 37,000 people in 2017, 2016, 37,000 people in traffic fatalities, uh, and about 10,000, somewhere between 10 and 11,000 in each of those years, between 28 and 29% of all those 36 to 37,000 traffic-related deaths uh, involved alcohol. So if alcohol-related fatalities are going to kill 10,000 to 11,000 people a year, then maybe we feel that number is too high, or there's ways that we can reduce that number, and that's something we should place an emphasis on as a society. Maybe that's something we learn from this conversation around Henry Ruggs. Or maybe we can improve flaws in the system and make the process more perfect for future DUI cases. Maybe that's something that will come out if we want to, if we decide that we want to concert our effort towards improving this because the Henry Ruggs case maximizes a macro conversation that we can have about drunk driving instead of having the conversation of what is the recourse for Henry Ruggs and what is the recourse for the Las Vegas Raiders. Because when balancing the DUI story versus the football story, I feel morally that it is only important to discuss the DUI and personal story and not talk about the football story at all. Similarly to what we talked about last week with Deshaun Watson. We should not be talking about the football story at all with Deshaun Watson, regardless of whether we have a professional responsibility to do so. We should have a moral standard that sets higher than our professional standard because football is not more important than the cases of sexual assault and the cases that those women have brought forward against Deshaun Watson. That is the message that we want to send, even if it's not true right now. Even if our society is going to talk about Deshaun Watson to the Dolphins for two weeks straight and we're going to not discuss the uh, legal matters behind this or humanize the stories of these women who have bravely come forward... Even if we're not in that place, we should strive for an idealized version of that where we don't discuss these matters. And we can apply that same context to Henry Ruggs' situation with a fatality and a family that is grieving and people who love this person grieving a sudden loss taken away by similarly to how 10 to 11,000 people a year suffer a similar type of situation and 37 to 38,000 people every single year suffer some sort of fatality in driving accident. This will be a macro conversation that potentially highlights those 11,000 as a statistic. And we can't humanize 11,000 people individually. It's simply not possible. But we can humanize a few cases here and there. And this is an important distinction to make because if you are sitting between the DUI story and the football story, 
they do not carry equal merit, therefore we should not have an equal merit conversation around these two things. We should only be discussing a conversation about macro-level DUI, which I am not equipped enough to do, which is why this is the conversation I'd like to have around this, is that I personally am not equipped to do so. I think I'm calling on other people who are more equipped and maybe more professional than myself to have this conversation instead of making this a conversation about what a terrible person Henry Ruggs is or making this a conversation about how the Raiders will move forward or how uh, the the Derek Carr will move forward next year. Like th- these conversations don't necessarily carry equal merit, even if we are a sports conversational uh, platform. Uh, and meme pages are a conversational platform around sports. And again, we're only connected to this story because of the name associated to it, but because the football conversation and the personal conversation do not carry equal merit, it is important that we don't treat such as an equal merit. That's where I personally stand and my moral stance around this. I know it won't be exactly that case because I've seen what's just happened with Deshaun Watson. I've seen what's happened with Trevor Bauer. I've seen what's happened in the John Gruden situation. Uh, I've seen what's happened in the cases of Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka and Calvin Ridley and sometimes how this relates to the football element side of mental health and when we're talking about racism and misogyny and homophobia and and anti-religion, anti-Muslim, anti-Jewish sentiment. This never becomes a conversation about the issues at hand. It becomes more about the perpetrator than anything else because the perpetrator in these macro level cases are often famous athletes whose name that we recognize or someone associated around the world of sports whose name carries some level of merit. So we can apply the macro level conversation because if not for the Henry Rugg situation, we're not talking about DUI today and we're not discussing uh, the, the statistics around deaths related to DUIs and we're talking about how we can humanize this story and then apply it to the macro. And if we decide that we would like to make changes as a society and place emphasis on this and not just saying it, but actually putting forward action towards it, maybe there are people who will champion this cause. And maybe, just maybe, that is the improvement that can come from this story, which is in the long run, we might save someone else's life. And we can build some version of a better future, whatever that version may be. That's ultimately what we're trying to do here is learn, improve, build better versions of the future, either for ourselves or on a macro level for society at large. So this is Kyle from the future. Um, While we were doing post-production here on the podcast, the news came in that the Raiders did indeed release Henry Ruggs. Um, So we were talking about the macro perspective on this story and how the way that it might apply to sports while not talking about depth charts and Raiders and X's and O's was what a corporation does or what a company does with a valuable person who goes through a controversy and how much they were willing to wait it out. And I thought that the Raiders in the absence of information uh, would wait in their decision to release or keep Henry Ruggs. And my guess is that the Raiders got some sort of information around the story. I thought they would have Henry Ruggs go away for a bit. I thought they would stand by him before going to a release, as we discussed on the, the block that was just recorded right before this. Um, and that was not the case. And I, I was kind of interested by that because I thought, based on where I stood, that maybe that was not going to be the case. And I put in the disclaimer there, like, 
I get if someone else wants to argue that this is immediately someone, uh, this is an immediately cut type of situation. And I would also understand if someone wanted to argue the compassion side of it, of standing by him instead of being cold-blooded business, but also looking at it from a public relations standpoint. Like, I, I just have a blind spot on this that I didn't really know what to do with exactly that macro question of what do we do in a situation where a team has to make a decision to stand by or walk away from a particular player. And the Raiders ended up making the decision to release Henry Ruggs straight up, um, and I wasn't quite sure if that was going to be the result. And I would love to have greater perspective on it. Maybe I'll listen to someone else articulate this better, someone who's probably been more directly affected by um, drunk driving accidents or having someone they know suffer an injury or death or something of that sort. I just have a blind spot in this situation. And so something that I thought was interesting was the pause in the in-between and then the near-immediate decision to um, cut bait with the Henry Ruggs situation because I didn't think that that was something the Raiders necessarily had to do but also acknowledged that I just didn't know exactly where things stood around that. And I assume the Raiders have information that we don't at this point in reporting. Um, Obviously, the video has come out now of him sitting on the curb while... The other car is on fire, and and clearly there's not a chance to save the person who is in the other car if they were still alive in that moment, which is a horrifying video that I I think people should watch because it's important. Not so much because you're going to see something that's like totally revealing or totally life-changing, but I think in these situations it's important to. Um, I've heard arguments the other way, especially with videos around police brutality of the fact that you've seen it enough where it becomes numb to a certain point, but then you see it again and emotions start to invoke. And, you know, in this case, maybe seeing a car on fire um, moves the needle for you. It didn't necessarily do it for me, um, watching the video of a car on fire and seeing someone who we presume is Henry Ruggs sitting on the side of the curb. Um, it's a really heart wrenching story. I don't know if it moved the needle for me in terms of like, wow, this is something that is really shaping my view of driving under the influence. Cause I feel like all of the things that are the obvious stances that we talked about, where just having the conversation of don't drink and drive and you should, how could you be so irresponsible and how could you, uh, not get an Uber? Like those feel like the easiest stances to take where yes, we all agree that this is wrong. I don't think anyone's getting any brownie points for for saying the obvious thing here. Um, I just find interesting the the macro level conversation around this because how do we take this deeper um, now that we have settled the anything that could be related to macro level football conversation, not the X's and O's depth chart type of football conversation, but the football conversation of how does an organization stand by someone who is of value to them it's not like it's joe schmo on the side of the where it's a it's a just a replaceable piece of the organization and and even still the raiders decided to move on which answered the question before the question could really even be proposed and dissected because now it feels like okay the result is in hand therefore we're not going to discuss the macro level part of this if that's the information the raiders got led to that point then so be it, and and that's the end of a conversation that maybe could have been interesting, but even still, it's now shifted to the, the personal story of it, because I wanted to separate 
these parts all together and then bring it back into the macro. So now we focus on the personal story. The legal information will start to come forward more in the coming days and weeks, I assume. And if we want to stick with the story, then we can follow this and understand the legal process of DUI a little bit better. I don't exactly know what the recourse for punishment is, especially in a public-facing case like Henry Ruggs, but we talked about the statistics from the Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Like th- These are kind of cookie-cutter cases at a certain point because we see 10,000 a year across the country, so most counties and municipalities have dealt with DUI. It's probably one of the more basic cases that they've probably dealt with, and so Um, The macro level conversation is, do we want to learn something greater from this? And this is a conversation that'll be greater to dissect later on, as we talked about early on here on the podcast. Um, But now one of those questions we were proposing on the macro level uh, has been answered. And maybe that's the end of that conversation because we have the result in hand. Um, To give a kind of parallel here that obviously doesn't have the same seriousness to the situation was um, during the NFL draft when... Uh, We found out Zach Wilson was going to be the number two pick like three weeks before the draft. We just stopped evaluating Zach Wilson because it's like, well, we could dissect his flaws more. We could dissect his game and learn more about whether he is the right pick or not. But because we know he's going to be the number two pick, we don't really have to keep doing the analysis. We can just do our mock drafts and say Lawrence one, Wilson two. Now we can talk about pick three. And I feel like this relates to the situation where we can have a macro level conversation about something more serious than, you know, draft picks. Uh, we can have a macro-level conversation about uh, how what role do employers play in creating accountability measures, especially when the legal system might have some flaws in it or it is drawn out over a long period of time. And over a long period of time, this story is not going to continue to be important or reported on because pretty much every DUI case with vehicular manslaughter or whatever it might be doesn't get reported that extensively long enough. It's a news story for one day, and then it vanishes. And maybe that will stay the same with Henry Ruggs. Maybe we won't follow this story further, which means I guess we want to try and have macro-level conversations within one podcast. And I fully admit, we might not talk about this story again. Like, it's totally possible. And this is, again, the conversation we were bringing up earlier, which is, do we as a society want to legitimately value conversations about driving under the influence and making an impact in trying to prevent further deaths in this case because it's something that we as a society deem to be a very important important problem and therefore we want to address it. I don't know whether the answer is yes or no. I lean to thinking the answer is no because I don't think even Henry Ruggs can start a national conversation around driving under the influence that will make significant change. I could be proven wrong on this. I I would be surprised the other way. But again, these are things out of our control and we don't make the rules. We just operate within them. And maybe we can create a more idealized society because we don't really value the, the issue of DUI and driving under the influence the same way we talk about things like racism, misogyny, COVID-19, and the 600, I think seven, uh, 700,000 deaths now related to COVID-19, related to 10,000 in the last year towards driving under the influence. We're going to dedicate a more significant portion of the conversation to that or talk about racism or wage gaps and misogyny and people being killed in the streets by police officers. Those things may generate larger conversations, 
And maybe that's just a, a problem with our society's value system. Who knows? But this is just an extension of the conversation that we had before. Um, now with the further information that Henry Ruggs uh, was released by the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, again, this is after post-production on the previous segment that we discussed. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. Um, we'll be back again the rest of the week with a couple more podcasts. Um, I hope you all have a fantastic day. Uh, tell your loved ones you love them. And uh, I hope this conversation provided a little bit of a, a thought-provoking outside of the uh, standard conversation that I think a lot of people are going to have across the next couple days about Henry Ruggs um, and driving under the influence. Um, maybe this was thought-provoking. Maybe it wasn't. But at the very least... We'll be back again tomorrow. So take it easy, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.